Good morning. Happy Easter. Welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin, Texas. We're very glad you're here. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there's a spark of the divine in everyone. And so if you have comments on the platform in which you're watching us, please do greet one another in the comments and let us know where you're watching from. We believe that when we greet one another, it is the divine in us greeting the divine in the other. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth that we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. From American poet, painter, essayist, author, and playwright, E.E. E. Cummings. I thank you, God, for most this amazing day. For the leaping, greenly spirits of trees and a blue, true dream of sky. And for everything which is natural, which is infinite, which is yes. I who have died am alive again today, and this is the sun's birthday. This is the birthday of life and of love and wings and of the gay great happening illimitably earth. How should tasting, touching, hearing, seeing, breathing, any lifted from the know of all nothing human merely being, doubt unimaginable you? Now the ears of my ears awake, and now the eyes of my eyes are opened.
This congregation wrote a mission statement for itself. We have lots of decisions to make as we move forward into the future. We have decisions to make right away about uh, what we do about reopening, when we can gather back together. And our reopening team decided that according to our mission and our values, we needed not to come back together for worship until we could all be here. Because the first word of our mission is together. Let us say it together. Together we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. Every Sunday after we say our mission, we have a moment for beloved community where we expand our knowledge of um, not only evidence of white supremacy culture, uh, not only evidence of suffering of black and brown people we may not have been aware of, and by we, I mean the people who identify as white and also the people who are people of color. White supremacy culture is in all of us. But I also want to lift up black joy and black accomplishment. And so today I would like for us to learn about the painter Amy Sherald. <laughs> of 2018, but not in a bad way. That's when her portrait of former First Lady Michelle Obama was unveiled, causing a frenzy at the National Portrait Gallery in Washington, D.C. It was exciting. I was happy that everybody was really eager to see it. She is an icon and... There should be lines to see her, and there should be lines to see this painting. Thanks for coming up. But Cheryl has moved on to her next act. A new show at the gallery Hauser & Worth in New York City displays her latest batch of paintings. Those two have been a hit. There were lines like, yeah. around the block. Yeah. I didn't see that until afterwards, but I was shocked and excited that so many people showed up. And also just the diversity of the crowd, all ages, races. It was just really great to see that kind of energy in a gallery space where you normally assume it's kind of stuffy. Um, it was a really down-to-earth. Most people learned her name because you were painting one of the most famous women yeah. in the world. Mm -hmm. And this exhibit, you're going back to what you've always done. Well, I never left it. You never? Yeah, that's the assumption, but I never left it. That was one painting. <laughs> she prefers to paint what she calls everyday people. I just see people and know immediately that there's somebody who I would like to make a painting of. I approach them awkwardly and pull up my cell phone and What's your pitch? my website. Hi, my name is Amy Cheryl. This is my website. I make paintings and I would like to photograph you. It only takes an hour. You get a hundred bucks. And you know what I mean? Like I try to make it seem as simple as possible. She met this model on the subway and this one through a friend. But regardless of where she meets her models, she paints all of them in gray skin tones. I look at the gray skin, I think about it's the inside of the outside that you normally experience, like you're experiencing the inside, the more private life of black people. 
adding to that intimacy. Cheryl has placed the portraits at eye level. His eyes are painted so they're able to meet your gaze. And I just think that's really important because it allows for the, the paintings to express their humanity. The show also features two large-scale paintings, one inspired by this famous photo. It's a real pivotal painting for me. I think it really takes my work into a different direction. And so, you know, I oftentimes think about the history of America and construction, and I think that um, I'm processing those, those kinds of ideas about the, the meaning of my Americanness um, and my history in this country. Plans are already in the works for all of these paintings to head to American museums. As for Amy Sherald, she says she plans to stick with her everyday models, but admits there might be a few exceptions. Serena Williams or Meghan Markle. After the Fall by Dan Santat. How Humpty Dumpty got back up again. My name is Humpty Dumpty. This was my favorite spot, high up on the wall. I know it's an odd place for an egg to be, but I loved being close to the birds. Then one day, I fell. I'm sort of famous for that part. Folks called it the Great Fall, which sounds a little grand. It was just an accident, but it changed my life. Fortunately, all the king's men managed to put me back together. Well, most of me. There were some parts that couldn't be healed with bandages and glue. After that day, I became afraid of heights. I was so scared that it kept me from enjoying some of my favorite things. I walked past the wall every day, and I would think about climbing that ladder again. I really missed the birds and being high above the city. But I could never do it, because I knew that accidents can happen. I eventually settled for watching the birds from the ground. It wasn't the same, but it was better than nothing. Then one day, an idea flew by. Making planes was harder than I thought. It was easy to get cuts and scratches, but day after day, I kept trying and trying until I got it just right. My plane was perfect, and it flew like nothing could stop it. I hadn't felt that happy in a long time. It wasn't the same as being up in the sky with the birds, but it was close enough. Unfortunately, accidents happen. They always do. I almost walked away again, but then I thought about all the time I'd spent working on my plane and all the other things I'd missed. I decided I was going to climb that wall. But the higher I got, the more nervous I felt. I didn't want to admit it. I was terrified. I didn't look up. I didn't look down. I just kept climbing, one step at a time, until I was no longer afraid. Maybe now you won't think of me as that egg who was famous for falling. Hopefully you'll remember me as the egg who got back up and learned how to fly. Our reading comes from Metamorphosis by Ovid. Ovid was a Roman poet who lived from 43 BCE until roughly 17 to 18 CE. Metamorphosis is considered the magnum opus of Ovid's poetic career. 
It's an epic that covers 15 books. It's full of 250 myths and is comprised of 11,995 lines of text. It's a chronicling of world history from creation until the time of Augustus Caesar. It was written around 8 CE. Nothing retains its original form, but nature, the goddess of all renewal, keeps altering one shape into another. Nothing at all in the world can perish. You have to believe me. Things merely vary and change their appearance. What we call birth is merely becoming a different entity. What we call death is ceasing to be the same. Though the parts may possibly shift their position from here to there, the wholeness in nature is constant. Let us now join together in an attitude of prayer and meditation where we breathe together. We seek the quietness within as much as we can in the situation where we're watching this from. Let us breathe together and move together into what Ralph Waldo Emerson called the wise silence. As we continue in an attitude of meditation, you are welcome to light a candle of joy or sorrow, hope, a remembrance or determination.
in the early 2000s. I was serving a Unitarian Universalist church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. And I went to visit a member of the congregation who was nearing the end of his life. He was in a rehab place. They were going to let him go home in a day or two. But he was a gardener, and I knew he was away from his garden at that point, and so I brought him a big sprig of rosemary just so he could smell it. That smell brings me a lot of joy, and I thought it might bring him joy too. And so I was sitting by his bedside, and we were talking, and I said, I brought you some rosemary, and he took a big breath of rosemary, and he said, Rosemary really pulls its weight. He and his wife met at the University of Chicago. He had grown up on a tobacco farm in the hills of Kentucky, gone to Indiana University, and then met Josephine. His name was Harold Hatcher. He met Josephine in Chicago. And they got married, and then they went to Germany, where they studied theology and religious education. And they had studied some at the University of Chicago, and they also had studied social work. And that's what they did when they came back from Germany. Upon returning from Europe, Harold and Josephine did social work for the next 40 years. He managed wholesale and retail consumer co-ops, and he worked on civil rights and ended up being the head of Indiana's Civil Rights Commission. In the late 60s, they moved to Spartanburg, South Carolina to be near their daughter, and she taught at the local Spartanburg Methodist College, and he became head of the Piedmont Community Action organization. That was an organization that worked with black and brown folks who had suffered generations of poverty and trying to mitigate the effects of generations of poverty by offering them uh, the kind of help that would really help. He brought Head Start to Spartanburg County and also he made it so that the ambulances would bring people of color to the Spartanburg hospitals, which until the late 60s, they had not done. He made a big difference in Spartanburg, but he burned out, burned out, and quit working with people. He just said, I have burned out on working with people, and I would like to just go in my backyard now and work with the plants. Josephine made a deal with him that they could use her money for living on and his retirement money uh, could be used for plants. And they had bought this house on Briarwood Road and the house backed up to a gully, just an ugly ditch, basically, that had been a cotton field. And what cotton does to the soil is it completely depletes the soil. And there was nothing but brambles and brush. And it was ugly. 
And he started clearing the brush. He started planting things. Josephine would help in the evenings. But he just poured his life into that soil. So a depleted man met the depleted land and they helped heal each other. I love the story of how there's life after burnout. So many people are feeling so much at the end of their ropes, so burnt out. And a lot of the things that we do or have done in the past to restore ourselves have not been available to us. And so the kind of rest that you get from travel and from visiting friends and from going to the movies or going out to eat, the kind of rest that refills your soul, the kind of rest that you get from coming to church and seeing people you love and thinking about things together and hearing music and singing. We haven't been able to have that. And so we are uh, burned out. He said he gave up on people. And wanted to go to an environment where he could just be with his friends, the plants. So this depleted man meets the depleted land and starts pouring his soul into the plants. You know, one thing about soil is that when it's depleted, you can restore it. And you do little things to restore the soil and then you get a little more water retention and then you get worms and you get compost and you can plant things that don't deplete the soil that in fact uh, bring things to the soil rather than taking things away from the soil that gully turned into acres of garden Now there are 12 ponds there. People go get married there. There are decks that look out over rushing streams. Streams that he and his helpers made happen. There wasn't any natural stream in there. Uh, but there is now. He gave and gave and gave to that land. And then they gave it to the city. I love this story because here at Easter time especially we hear the, uh, the faith story about a great teacher or a god depending on your belief system who was giving and giving and then broken. And after being broken became something else became a spirit within became a healer within I love our children's time story about Humpty Dumpty who fell off the wall and broke open but they didn't put him back together again because putting an egg back together again it doesn't make any sense but what's inside an egg but a bird and he became a bird I think that so many of us have to reinvent ourselves at least once 
in our lives, when we're feeling depleted and broken, we have to end the marriage or we have to quit that job or we have to move to a different place and reinvent ourselves anew. And it's not like quitting. Some people have this sense that you're not allowed to quit anything. And that you stay with something to your own detriment. And a little of that, I guess, is okay. But I'm also thinking that nobody nobody stands outside a burning building where people are running out and yells at the people, Quitter! Quitter! I mean... It'd be stupid to stay in a burning building. And some of us try. He ran out of the building that was burning for him. And people may have disapproved on his saying that he gave up on people. But what he did was, uh, in his words... I just tried to find an ugly spot and make it a place for a beauty spot. He didn't even really give up on social work because after years of being in the garden, he needed so many volunteers and he believed so strongly that working with the trees and the plants and the water and the birds would heal somebody's soul that he took kids from very marginalized identities and situations and ask them to hang around the garden and ask them to learn how to dig and move rocks and have talks and drink tea and laugh move plants See how a little plant who wasn't doing well over here could move over here and start flourishing. Once you know that about a plant, you start thinking about that about yourself. Maybe I could flourish in another situation. So what I want to say is, don't be afraid to reinvent yourself. Don't be afraid to burn out and leave something behind. Don't be afraid that there's nothing new on the other side. The whole message of Easter is that there's always life on the other side. You see a big dead tree in the forest, but it's not dead. It's got a million things living in it and from it and around it. Life comes out of death. We forget. We think we have to fix everything and hold everything and control everything. And it's pretty silly. I'd like to end with a quotation from from Clarissa Pinkola Estes. She says, ours is not the task of fixing the entire world at once, but of stretching out to mend the part that is within our reach. Plant something. Mend something. Let something come to life again. May it be so.
we extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Let the life I lead speak for me. Let the life I lead speak for me. When I'm lying in my grave and there's nothing left to say, let the life I lead speak for me. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.